Well, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. <clears throat> I want to say thank you again for being here today and I want to welcome all of those that are joining us online. Many of you may not know if you're here in the room that we have a whole other crowd of people that join us online each week uh, and we're always thankful that they're here and, and with us in the way that they are. I hope they're able to join us in person at some point. <clears throat> I want to uh, mention one thing before I start the sermon that is a just an update about uh, that's a prayer request in the church bulletin. <clears throat> if you have not already heard that uh, Joni McKinney Burrell, uh, who we've been praying for for uh, many weeks, uh, is the niece of uh, Barbara Castle's friend to many here in our church. Uh, been a long family's been a long time. Kaufman family passed away yesterday, <clears throat> and uh, and so some of their family has history here with us, and also as a part of Sea Life, and so. Um, this week, we're actually going to have the opportunity to host the visitation on Thursday from 6 to 8, and Saturday, a funeral will be here at 2 o'clock. There's going to be a meal that's going to be uh, put together by us and by Sea Life, and so if you want to help with that meal, you want to bring food, you want to serve, you can see Duranda this morning, and we'll communicate <clears throat> the details about, um, again, that I just mentioned about the service and the visitation through our email, but uh, continue praying for, for Barbara and for their family, for many of you who are connected to them and um, in a lot of different ways. A lot of us uh, think very highly of that family and have uh, and know them well and so want to continue to pray for them. Also, just remember that we have new classes that are starting today after uh, worship and would love for you to stay and check your bulletin to kind of get some lists. Some of those are continuing from last month and some new ones that are starting. <clears throat> Before I actually start the sermon today, I want to take a minute we have three weeks left in this series in Daniel, and I want to take a minute and I want to kind of tell you what's coming after this series uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, we're going to spend some, some weeks leading up to the holidays uh, and the Advent season in a series that uh, I'm, I'm going to be calling Let's Talk. And <clears throat> during this series, we're going to talk about four different topics, uh, the topics of doubt, grief, anxiety and depression. And, and I, I want to let you know about this series because I've had, I've had in my, I have a list, some of you have heard me talk about this before, I have a list of kind of topics that I think about preaching about um, and keep that kind of in, in the queue ready and kind of always thinking about that. I've had plans to do this series probably for three years. COVID hit and I thought it's not the right time to do that. And so um, and I'm kind of now is the best time to do that and decided that. And so we're going to spend some time over the, day, the weeks of October 23rd through November the 20th uh, thinking about these topics. And, um, you know, I, part of the reason for this is that I believe, we believe, I think, as a church, that of all the places on the planet where conversations about topics like this should happen, the church should be at the top of the list. Unfortunately... Uh, as we all know, the church is not always at the top of the list uh, when it comes to places where these conversations typically happen. People talk about the, these things a lot, not always in church settings. Uh, matter of fact, I was having a conversation with someone just this last week, and I was telling them about this series, someone who's not a part of our church, and, uh, and they were really surprised, actually, to hear me talk about the fact that, I, that we were going to kind of work through this. And so I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to know about this series for two re ahead of time for two reasons. One... I want you to begin. I want to ask you to begin praying, first of all, for it, uh, and and I want you to also be thinking about who you might invite to be here with us at some point during that series, um, because the reality is all of us 
all of us, I feel pretty confident saying all of us, maybe we don't know it, but I, I feel pretty sure all of us have been impacted either personally with one of these topics or we know someone or are close to someone who currently is impacted or has been impacted by it. And, and you all know this, but it always feels good to, important to say, like, it's never been easier, actually, to share with someone who's not here on a Sunday something that happens here on a Sunday, right? Like, everything we do is live streamed now. And so if something that you hear in a sermon, a song that touches you, it's easy now, more e easier than ever to share that with people and to invite them into the space. So it may just be, hey, this is, maybe they watch online, but they're, they're here and they're receiving the information, but we certainly want you to be a part, them to be a part of the physical gathering if they can. One thing we're going to do that I'm excited about about this series that's different than what we've done in the past is during the weeks of this series, we are um, the last week, the last Sunday of October through the November 20th, those four weeks, <clears throat> we are not going to have adult classes. All of our classes are going to be in here together. And I have asked a panel of people to come and to help <clears throat> have a conversation with me about each of these topics over those four weeks. You'll be able to text questions in, have some interactive time. And so we'll, you'll hear a lot more about that in the weeks uh, to come. But please be praying about that. Be praying about who you might invite to join us uh, and be making plans to be here. Um, and I know we're all busy, got a lot of things going on, but I really think it'll be beneficial to you and to your family, to your friends, to your circles of relationships uh, to be a part of those, those weeks. So with that, I want to pray. I want to ask if you would bow with me before we jump into Daniel chapter 7. <clears throat> Father, we thank you. We thank you for today and for the opportunity to gather here together. And we, we proclaim again as we have just spent some time singing that uh, there is no other God that we place before you. And we pray that our lives will reflect the words that come off of our lips when we sing songs like that. Because we know that often we can place other gods in front of you. And today, God, I pray that we'll be reminded as we open your word together about the throne that is in heaven, the eternal kingdom that has been established by Jesus Christ. It will give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear so that we might live in the way you want us to live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so over the last several weeks, we have uh, learned as we've been working through the book of Daniel about this, the Jewish people who are learning to live as exiles, as the people of God taken from their homeland, now in a pagan empire, which is a tricky thing to do. How do, you, how do you survive as the people of God when you're living in a place that's not helping you live, as, live into your identity as, the, as a person of God? And so this idea that's sort of running through the entire book of Daniel is you have to be a part of the empire that you live in, wherever nation that is, be engaged citizens, but remember as you follow God that you've made a commitment to God. So you don't compromise who you are. And I, I believe really that is a lot of what the book of Daniel is about. It's about Jews learning to sort of walk this tightrope, if you will, between engaged citizenship in the nation where they live and being faithful to God. And we've, we've made the connection, if you've been here in previous weeks, that this is the same thing that we're navigating as people here in 2022. Uh, that, you know, we, how can we be engaged citizens that care about our communities that are invested in making a difference in our little part of the world that we live in, 
while also remembering that we aren't from here. This is not our home. And, and the first six chapters of Daniel teach us this through these really powerful stories that you've, many of you have been, been here and you've been a part of those stories as we've studied through. They're stories of courage, they're stories of faith. But today, as we, we're going to see, and I wanna, I'm telling you all this because I, I want you to kind of prepare yourself if you're not familiar with Daniel chapter 7. The first six chapters of Daniel kind of tell the story one way, and there's a significant shift that happens beginning in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7, we move from, from stories that are, you know, fairly straightforward. There's some dreams and some things you have to kind of understand, but they're more narrative kind of stories in chapters 1 through 6. And we move in chapter 7 to like less clear images of Daniel's visions. And, so we're, and we're really, in a lot of ways, think about it this way, we're kind of changing genres right in the middle of the book, starting in Daniel chapter 7. And so that's going to be important to know. It's also going to be important to know, as I've told, I've mentioned multiple times through this series, that this book does not go in chronological order. Uh, so last week we were in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, that was closer to the end of Daniel's life. But today with chapter 7, we're actually going to jump backwards uh, to an earlier time in Daniel's life. Daniel uh, chapter 7 picks up during the, la the reign of the last king of Babylon, Belshazzar. Uh, which was Nebuchadnezzar's son, and, and it goes to a time of Belshazzar's reign as king. And so it would place this story as some, sometime kind of probably right around, right before Daniel chapter 5. And so we're going to pick up in verse 1 in Daniel chapter 7. This is what happened. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. So really quickly, I want to stop here. As we've studied this book, uh, we've noticed something that's happened over the course of the book. We've seen that these anxious dreams seem to rise up in the leaders of these nations, Babylon, Persia. There's this, there's this thing that happens, and many times, right, uh, they have these, these leaders, Nebuchadnezzar in particular in the early part of Daniel, they have, his dreams have him restless, they have him nervous. He's not quite sure he can't sleep, he can't eat. And one of those dreams uh, was about a statue, maybe like this. I showed this when we looked at Daniel chapter 2. That was made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay. And Daniel interpreted this dream and said that the head of that statue is, is Babylon. And I told you that none of the rest of the statue is explicitly stated about what exactly it represents. And then this statue in the dream is destroyed, right? And Daniel comes in and he interprets this dream and he explains to Nebuchadnezzar what it means. And I'm reminding you of this story because in some ways, I think this story in Daniel chapter 7 that we're about to read about this dream that Daniel has is supposed to make you recall the dream from Daniel chapter 2. There's some connections between the two, except for now, Daniel is the one that's having the dreams. And though there's going to be sort of a tinge of horror in Daniel's dreams, because dreams can be that way, right? I mean, how many, you, we've all had a dream where you woke up in the night and, or you woke up early in the morning and you're like, oh, I'm glad it was just, it wasn't real, right? I'm the only one that's felt that way. We've, we've had that, right? Where you, you're like, I'm glad it wasn't real. And so that's the way dreams go. And we're going to see that though Daniel's dream has a, a, 
some, some darkness to it, it, is, it ultimately ends up being very hopeful. So if you don't know really quickly about the old, much about the Old Testament prophets, it's important to know that these Old Testament prophets are dreamers. People like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Daniel, Micah, people like that, right? They're a big part of the, the, the Old Testament prophet's job is to have an imagination. They can imagine the world other than it is. And this is important to keep in mind as you read the book of Daniel because many of us can relate to the, the fact, like, we, we've tried to imagine the world other than it is. We live in a world that feels dark at times, feels discouraging at times. We've longed for it to be different in some other way than, than what we're experiencing, where there is death and there is disease and there is hurt and there is suffering and there is loss. And we wonder, how long, O oh Lord, how long? Well, the prophets are a part of the people who speak to this, right? So if you understand what I'm talking about, you would like the prophets a lot because this is what they're trying to do. And it's not really a small, th- what, I'm, what I'm saying sounds like a really small thing. I mean, they imagine the world in a way that it's not. But it's not a small thing. And I want you to think about, as I say that, your experience. It sounds good in theory, imagine the world other than it is. But the reason it's not a small thing is because most people just embrace the world as it is. Most people just embrace the world as they just they don't question what they see or experience, or if they do question it, it, it turns to an unhealthy place. But in the Old Testament, you have these prophets that are capable by the Spirit of God to imagine, to, to, to dream about the world in a way that is other than it is. And they communicate what they dream, what they envision, you might say. Mark referenced one of those places in Isaiah chapter 6 as we thought about the significance of that throne scene in Isaiah. They, they imagine what they see through preaching, through spoken word. They imagine how the world could be different and their response to it, not by raising money or you know, starting some political action committee, uh, but they speak a word from God. And, and someone might say, Well, what difference does it make, right? What difference did Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6 actually make? What what difference does Daniel's dream that we're about to look look at, what difference does it actually make? It doesn't seem to me, someone might say, that it does very much. To which I would say, these sermons, these poems are still around. They're still around inspiring new generations, you you and me, new generations of people to have an imagination of the world other than it is. So I think it worked if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And so here in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel is having his own dream. It's not Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It's not, it's not Belshazzar's dream, not Belshazzar's vision. He's having his own dream. And in his dream, which he dreams at night, it says, he sees the ocean. And he, he said in, in, in Daniel 7, it says that the ocean and it's being stirred up. The wind is churning it and churning it and churning it. Now, now modern people like you and I, we, we like the ocean, right? People today take their children to the ocean and let them play in the ocean. You go vacation at the ocean. You sit by a chair by the ocean and you read your book because we're modern people. But in ancient times, <clears throat> the ocean was seen as this really dark place. It was this mysterious place full of all kinds of creatures that you can't see. We still can't see them necessarily when you walk up to it, but now we know a lot of things that ancient people didn't know, right? 
You can't go down there. You can't see it easily if you'd stand there on the shore. What's right below the surface? And so ancient people, they just avoided it. It, was, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't a place where you would, it wasn't a place where you would go vacation. You know, it wasn't a place where you would go and sit by the beach and have your favorite drink and your favorite book and you would enjoy an afternoon because it was, it was dark and it was mysterious, full of all kinds of creatures that you couldn't see. You can see animals on the land, and we're, we're, we tend to be afraid of things that we can't see. In the ocean, there is all of those types of things, so it's a bit more scary. And so as we've learned more about the ocean in our modern era, we've become less afraid of it. But for thousands of years, this was not the case. This is the same re- reason today, if you think about it, that movies are made about things in the ocean, Right? Because deep down, I think in us as humans, there is this awareness that the ocean is still this dark, mysterious place that we don't fully understand. And so I tell you that because the sea in Daniel's dream is a key piece of what happens. But the sea is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for chaos. It's a metaphor for anxiety. It's a metaphor for evil. In Revelation, in the new creation, there's this moment where it says there will be no more sea. There will be no more ocean. And I I would suggest that that's not intended to be taken literally. It's a metaphor saying at the end of time that the source of evil, the source of chaos, the source of darkness will be eliminated. And so in Daniel's dream, this dark sea is being stirred up by these four winds and they're There are these four beasts, it says, that come up out of the sea. The first, Daniel 7 says, was like a lion, but it had wings like an eagle, and it could stand up on two feet like a person. And the second beast that came up out of the ocean looked like a bear. And the third looked like a leopard, but with four heads and four wings. And then the fourth beast that came up out of the ocean, it didn't look like anything that you or I would recognize. It was a monster, you might say that looked terrifying and frightening, Daniel 7 says. It, was, it had large iron teeth. It had ten horns. And in Daniel's dream, there is suffering. There is great suffering because these four beasts come up out of the dream. You can tell this is a nightmare for Daniel, right? Like this is terrifying to him as he's laying there, envisioning this, dreaming this at night. There's great suffering at, at, that come at, as a result of these four beasts, Especially that fourth beast, that monster. There's incredible suffering, crushing and devouring victims, destroying everything in its path, it says. And most Bible scholars tend to identify the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the monster as places like Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece. Sometimes people include Rome in that list. And I would say that we could spend a lot of time, like the sermon, whole sermon could be about trying to figure out and interpret all of those kinds of things. Christians have had, long had an infatuation with understanding things like this. And it might be a fun occasional exercise, but I would actually suggest it's not really the point. Really, our concern isn't what does this mean or does that mean? And here's why I I would suggest. Because depending on at what point in history you read this story, you read about this dream in Daniel 7, and we're reading it today, right? You try to interpret the application of it, and it might change. This has been around for a long time, right? In other words, if you ask the people living in Daniel's time, Jesus' time, it might mean places like Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Rome. But if you ask someone centuries later, 
right? Maybe it was, you, you ask Native Americans, they might say, well, it was the Portuguese. I mean, they came in like a lion, and they devoured us. And then after that, the Spanish were a real bear. And then the Dutch came, and they were springing on us like a leopard. And then came the English, and they were a real monster, right? And the point that I'm making is that there have been wave after wave after wave of beasts coming up out of the sea, out of the chaos, out of the source of evil. And depending on who you ask and what point in history you ask, the beast might change. You with me? And so really, I think what Daniel is doing, he's giving us a summary of world history. One nation after another, roaming across the land like a wild beast, asserting its will in such a way that those who suffer the most are the weak and the poor are the people without power. And it would be easy, I think, as you envision Daniel's dream to feel hopeless, right? There's just one beast after another he's envisioning that are coming up out of the chaos, coming up out of the sea, coming up out of the darkness, and just say, well, I guess that's just the way it is. This is the way that the world is, and it's never going to be any different. There's always going to be suffering. There's always going to be heartache and harm and pain and evil that always is here. One nation after another, the strong oppressing the weak. And it would be easy to feel like, where is the hope in all of that? But the, in the dream that Daniel has, there's a change. And the prophet Daniel sees another image in his dream. I want to pick up in verse 9. This is what it says. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the book books were opened. Now I want to stop really quickly there and say, in the middle of Daniel's dream, while he's dreaming about these beasts that are coming up out of the sea, out of the chaos, out of the darkness, he sees a court scene in heaven. The Ancient of Days is seated on the throne, and the throne he sees has wheels that are flames. Remember, a dream, right? Dreams are wild. All of us have experienced a dream, again, like I said a minute ago, where you're like, what just happened? I'm not sure, I'm not sure what just happened. Why did I dream about that thing? That was really weird, Right? And, and so some of the things that he sees show up again later in the book of Revelation. But I want you to notice, it's important to notice that this moment is a moment of hope. At the same time that Daniel sees these beasts coming up out of the chaos, coming up out of the darkness, coming up out of the sea, he sees a court scene in heaven. And so instead of feeling hopeless over the beasts that come into the earth one after the other after the other, asserting their will and leaving oppression in their wake, and then they go away just to have another nation come after them and do the same thing over and over again, instead of that, he sees a, a court scene. And there are many people there, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. And from the throne, Daniel says that the Ancient of Days sees it all. The Ancient of Days observes what is happening on earth. Yahweh, God, is paying attention. And the Ancient of Days is about to act. And so everyone takes a seat and the books are opened. 
This is what it says beginning in verse 11. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the, the horn was speaking, which is another image that he saw earlier in the chapter. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, go back real quick, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. While seeing this be- these beasts come up out of the chaos, out of the sea, then Daniel sees not a beast, not a beast, but a human being, a human. The Son of Man is coming from the earth into the clouds and is presented before the Ancient of Days who sits upon the throne. And the Ancient of Days gives to this Son of Man, to this human, is given authority and glory and sovereign power over all nations and all peoples of every language. And in his dream, everyone, he says, worships the Son of Man. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, meaning it isn't like human kingdoms that come one after the other after the other, eventually rising and then eventually falling. No, this kingdom, this, the kingdom of this son of man, Daniel sees, will never pass away. It will never be destroyed. We might say this kingdom, though Daniel doesn't use this word, is eternal. The ancient of days, Yahweh, God, the creator of heaven and earth, has spoken. And the difference in this kingdom that the Son of Man will bring about is that it's not beastly, it's humane. The poor and the oppressed and the suffering and the hurting and the lost and the grieving and the dying and the weak and the outcast and the sinner will flourish under the reign of this human king. This is the dream that Daniel has, which is also the gospel, by the way. The hope that beastly empire will come to an end and that a humane empire benefiting the poor and the oppressed will come from heaven. And so what does all of this mean? Well, Jesus refers to himself around 80 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the Son of Man. More than anything else, any other title that Jesus uses for himself, he uses the term Son of Man. And when he does this, he is saying, I am the one that Daniel dreamed about long ago. In fact, before his crucifixion, when Jesus is talking to Caiaphas, the high priest, and he's been arrested, and he's in the middle of being unjustly tried in a court, he's standing quietly, not saying much, not speaking or responding to the accusations that are being thrown upon him. And Caiaphas finally says to him, say something. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And in Matthew 26, 63 and 64, Jesus, it says this, but Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, you have said so. But I say to you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. I want you to be sure and catch what Jesus is saying. He's not simply saying, 
You're right, Caiaphas. I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. And sometime off in the future, sometime way after this, my kingdom will be established. No, he says to Caiaphas, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated in power at the right hand of the Father and coming in the clouds. In other words, Jesus says, Caiaphas, you know that stuff you read about in Daniel? I know you know your Bible because you're the high priest. Where there was one beast after another, always coming up out of the chaos, always bringing chaos and suffering and leaving destruction in its path wherever it went. And then in that, in that moment, there was this, this son of man that appears before the court and is given authority by the ancient of days. You remember that, Caiaphas? Jesus says, from now on, that kingdom is here. And the cross might have looked like, looked like to Caiaphas and everyone else that was involved in Jesus' death, it might have looked like defeat. A lot of people think that it looks like defeat still today. How could a king who's been enthroned on high die? What kind of message does that send? But we, as the people of God, know that the cross is victory. The cross was Jesus' coronation as king, you might say. And at the cross, Jesus was given all authority and dominion and sovereign power over all nations and all peoples and all languages. At the cross, God acted on behalf of humanity and brought about a kingdom, a new kind of reign and rule here on the earth. Not just something, church, that is going to benefit you and I after we die, but it is actually here right now, a part of your life and mine, a part of this world that we live in. This kingdom is not just invisible and something that's in the future. It's actually a thing you're a part of right now. The cross announced that Jesus does not rule like the beasts that come up out of the sea with force and fear, with destruction and oppression. But Jesus rules with love and with service and with grace and with truth. He is made a king not because he kills and makes everyone submit to him, but because he dies and invites us into a life with him. Conquering in, his, in the process, even the greatest enemy, death, death itself through his death, and resurrection. And we, as the people of God, you know how we respond to this? We say yes and amen. We say yes and amen. We say yes and amen. I want you to turn to the person next to you and look them in the eye and say yes and amen. Because this, this is our story, right? This is who you are. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is what we believe that you and I are a part of this beautiful, Good and beautiful, unshakable, and everlasting kingdom that was spoken about a long time ago. A kingdom that is led by a king that went all the way to the cross for you and for me. That did things in a way that no king before him had ever done before. Establishing a kingdom that will never, ever, ever, ever fade away. Amen and amen. And to the ancient of days we pray this morning. Would you stand with me? as we pray the Lord's Prayer, which I think is a declaration of our belief that God is on the throne, that Christ is alive and is still at God's right hand. Let's pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.